The experience has been a lot of saying yes to things, putting yourself out there. It's a lot of that. It's meeting people, it's asking questions, it's really putting yourself in the thick of things and being participant in the community. And, you know, it'll take some time to figure out, but I realize now that time is the only thing that'll kind of get you closer to the people that you admire. And it's also about, for example, identifying what resources you have accessible to you and using them to make things happen for yourself. What is up, everybody? I'm Kat San, and you're back for another episode of She Ready. In this episode, I finally got to reconnect with one of the people I look up to the most in the creative industry and one of the people I consider an ate or an older sister within the softball community as she is just so full of energy and good vibes. Currently, she is the senior brand communications manager over at the Standard Group, while she also does freelance work as a food writer, a recipe developer, and a stylist for a number of corporate brands, media partners, and both print and online publications. One of the biggest foodies I know, Let's welcome our third guest to She Ready, Kat Altamonte. What is up to all of our listeners? And hello, Atikat. Welcome to She Ready. Hi, thank you for having me, Kat. <laughs> no problem. And I know you've been very busy lately, but thank you so much for being on the show. I'm not that busy. <laughs> so for all of our listeners, I actually met Atikat when I was younger, Um, probably when I was still in high school since we had the common coach and I'm just super pumped to have her on the show since it'll be really chill and a lot of fun. So before we get started at the cat, I know you're currently doing a lot of different things right now, but before we dive deep into all of that, how have you been lately? Been doing okay. I think at this point, I've been pretty well adjusted to um, life in a pandemic. Um, yeah, like it's. I think I've kind of grown into a routine that I like um, and found nice ways of working. That's really great to hear, actually, since adjusting to this whole work from home setup and having to set up new routines is pretty challenging. But I'm happy to hear that you've settled into it quite nicely. And over the years, I know that you bake all the time and I've always seen great things about your sticker doodles, but... What's been your favorite thing to bake in quarantine lately? Oh, the great thing about quarantine is there was a time where I had so much time to cook and bake. And I've been baking for years and years. And what I've come to enjoy recently is cooking. And I haven't done that um, as much ever. And so I'm learning a lot of learning a lot about cooking. And for baking is just going beyond my normal cakes and cookies. Um, learning about bread and new pastries. I definitely went into the sourdough phase. So I have my own starter. She's a year old now. I feed her every month. Um, and so just like a lot of new breads and pastries um, and getting to know, you know, making all of that. I do love anything that ha- that's very tactical and has to do a lot of, um, has to do a lot with using your hands. And so it's just, Kitchen time is my fun time. It's my personal time. At the same time, you get to feed people. You get to feed your family. It's a lot of fun for me. Oh my gosh, I bet they get so excited every time you cook and bake. I mean, they're going to say different things. Not everything is as good as it looks. (laughs) Ask my brothers. They're going to roast me every single time. Oh no. 
But I bet the cakes and the cookies you've made are really great. And you've mentioned earlier, actually, that kitchen time is sort of like your me time. But during your down days or your chill days, what have been some of your biggest guilty pleasures? I think it's that, actually. I kind of really deep dive into new things to make in the kitchen. Obviously, I'm obsessed with food. Um, Other than that, it's a lot of small businesses have popped up in quarantine, like a lot of people making a lot of these different pastries and cooking a lot of different dishes. And definitely, I've been ordering so much food um, and trying all of these new, um, all of these new businesses. There's so much talent. There's so many amazing home cooks in Manila and home bakers. And I actually, you know, that's definitely my guilty pleasure, just trying everything I can try. <laughs> I love that. And for you as a big foodie, was there any specific small business or home baker or home cook that you just really loved and fangirled over this quarantine? I am obsessed with crust of pizza. It's so good. The crust is amazing. Like the Detroit style, you know, um, toasted cheese on the edge of the pizza. Some of my good friends, Nico and Queenie, also are opened up Sambar. I don't know if you've heard of it. They do like nasi lemak, fried chicken, um, and all of these Indonesian dishes that are amazing. Um, I'd say those are my top two. Like, I can't stop ordering from them. <laughs> After this podcast, you already know I'm gonna check them out on Instagram. I have some Sambar coming over today. <laughs> Oh man, it's definitely going to be a feast afterwards. So whilst waiting for your sandbar, let's get into it. And let's first talk about how the baseball and softball community in the Philippines is quite small and quite close-knit, I'd say, since even if you come from such different teams, you'll all eventually come across each other once again in college. But the Altamontes are definitely a big bunch. So could you tell me more about how it was like growing up in a family you were in Everyone played baseball and softball since you were all a lot younger. I was just about to say, imagine that small, close-knit community getting even smaller. <laughs> so um, my siblings and I, I have five siblings, we're six all in all. Every single one of us plays baseball and softball or used to play baseball and softball. And so growing up, those were just some of the funnest, fondest, warmest memories Um as you said, it's a really, really tight-knit community. At the time when we were kids, we were all homeschooled. So baseball and softball were hobbies for us, and there were ways for us to meet other people and other kids in the community. And so I remember just as a kid, um, my brothers and sisters, you know, they had like the small barcada and um, you know, we'd get together, our parents would get together on weekends, have potluck parties, and um on game days, on practice days. We were all just always around each other. Practice days was like, you know, waiting for each other to finish training. Like, you know, your brothers would be in one field, your sister would be in another field, and you all just wait until everyone's done training. On weekends, no doubt, just everyone had game days. Um, And yeah, like softball was so much fun as a kid. Um, I'm sure you remember like Elam and meeting other girls and other different teams. Um, in between games, you're playing bang sack with each other and just running around and having fun. Um, summers also were just, summers were full of um, baseball and softball and nationals and training. And it was just a lot of fun for me and the family, I'm sure. 
For sure. And I love how you mentioned summers just being so busy because of nationals. And I think that's definitely one of my highlights as well, having played softball growing up. Since up to this day, some of my closest teammates and I would still reminisce, look back on all our kolakohans. And it's just so fun being able to talk about all those like it just happened yesterday, you know, being able to grow up together. But what would you say were some of your favorite memories of playing the sport whilst growing up? I remember just being the most happy go lucky player um, and just having a lot of fun on and off the field. Um, even on serious game days, it was what we'd like to call serious fun. So we'd be very competitive, but we'd also, you know, it's about linking arms with your teammates and building that friendship and building that trust and eventually just, you know, becoming really, really close and tight knit. Um, and the games become fun the more you build those friendships. Absolutely. And it's an awesome feeling to just be able to have one another's backs, both on and off the field. And I definitely can relate with just being that happy-go-lucky player, super chill, go-with-the-flow type of vibe. But how was it like for you when you graduated from high school and you eventually went from living in the South to now staying in Katipunan and playing college softball? Huge transition. So high school, little league, um, and all those little tournaments you played growing up um, are really stepping stones in developing both the hard and soft skills you need as an athlete. So at a very young age, you're used to showing up, you're used to training. Before big tournaments, you're used to full day training, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. with a little lunch break in between. So you're exposed to that level of commitment. You're exposed to that level of dedication. You see yourself grow as a player. You see the effect of practicing every day. And college is really where you level up. Like, you have to level up. Um, and so for me, I grew up um, in a really small community. And college was wow, like such a big transition for me because it kind of just threw me into the world. Um, from where I grew up all the way to QC felt really far away. It was my first time. Um, first time I moved out of home, first time I lived with other athletes. And um, just being exposed to all of that was a little overwhelming. Definitely my freshman year was the sharpest learning curve. Um, even though you're used to training and showing up it's different mixing all of that with all the things you have to do in college so there's classes there are your extracurriculars there's of course social life and there's the 6 a.m training <laughs> so you know waking up for 6 a.m training doing the extra training for pitchers and catchers doing the weights um and mixing all of that was a really big lesson in time management and of course in you know, revisiting those values um, you grew up with as an athlete and staying committed to the game and committed to the team. I definitely agree. And it's truly something that all athletes go through since when you go to Blue Eagle Gym at 5.45 for 6 a.m. practice, you see volleyball setting up their nets, track warming up, football getting the equipment. So it's definitely a big challenge managing your time between training, school, orgs, your social life. So I really loved how you mentioned that. It was really about revisiting those values we grew up with as athletes and continuously just staying committed to the team and the game. And looking back, you know, having been there yourself, 
What have your previous relationships with your teammates and coaches back then have taught you the most about yourself? Wow, so much. Um, you know, so much of who I am um, is, is based on those relationships and those experiences as an athlete. Um, there's so much. I think one thing that you can recognize anywhere, you know, once you get off the field is that there's so much collective power in working as a team. And um, for me, it's like, you know, you compare it to the physical huddle. You huddle before a game and you're hyped and you're energized and you're empowered and you're happy to play with the women that you play with. And um, you huddle after a game and it's about connecting with each other and tapping into them and leaning on them. And um, for me, it's been a lot of, you know, outside, even outside work and in work, it's a lot about um, linking up those arms and connecting with other people. And I realized when you do that, um, you not only become a better player, it's it's just you lift people up along with you. Um, and yeah, I think that's one of the most valuable things I've, I've taken from playing team sport. I seriously love how you use the image of a huddle and just describe to us how powerful teamwork is and Going beyond that, just the impact of being able to trust one another, having one another's backs, encouraging each other to be their best selves since at the end of the day, no matter what type of work you want to do or what industry you want to be in, you'll always be surrounded by people and you have to be great with managing relationships, navigating conflict, and just being a genuine and fun person to be with. That's right. And even outside work, like one of the most um, important things and most supportive things I've had was getting all my girlfriends together and navigating um, our professional careers with each other. Even if we all work in different industries, um, it's it's really about building a bigger table and you know being honest and transparent and you know trusting each other and helping each other you know make these big decisions and make these big moves. It's awesome that you mentioned that since some of my close teammates and I have been together since we were like 12 or 13. And back then, we talk about a lot of silly stuff. But now it's like internships, graduation, what career path you want to go into. And I have this group chat on Telegram with two of my teammates, Chaska and Margs, where we just talk about all these future plans. And I love how there's no BS Everyone's just so real talk and supportive on it. But at the same time, we're also challenging one another to go out there and do your own thing because we know what each one of us is capable of and what we can do. It's really important to have that um, support system and circle to help you now. Like after college, it's a huge, wow, like big wide world. Um, and so it's, you know, even building a team, so to speak, within your friendships is life-changing like so helpful i love how we're talking about building a bigger table for everyone building your own girl gang celebrating each other's wins you know not having to look and treat each other's competitors and it's definitely some major takeaways i've had from bozma st john's episode on girl boss radio i love her i'm such a big fan <laughs> i love how she lives so colorfully and really you know makes space for herself and builds space for other people Agreed. And for our listeners, if you want to go check that episode out on Girl Boss Radio, search The Lies That Women Have Been Told with Bozeman St. John on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and go give it a listen. Take notes. It's a life-changing episode. And 
going back to what you've learned from your teammates and coaches in college, there's going to be a time where you eventually have to hang your cleats, pack your bags, and say goodbye to the sport. But I feel like not a lot of people really talk about that transition and that adjustment to life after sports when, you know, softball or baseball have been a part of who you are for the longest time. So after graduation for you, what do you think would be some of the biggest challenges you faced back then when you were finally done with playing? One of the biggest challenges was really just facing the fact that I was completely leaving my comfort zone. I was moving out of that lifestyle and that, you know, that huddle. And it took me a long time to actually get back into that habit again. Um, you're moving out of a space where you have com- competency, where you have comfort and where you think you have expertise and it's going to make you feel a lot of things. So it's very it's, it's discomfort, it's unfamiliar, and it can be isolating. So um, work is nothing like college. And the biggest challenge is really embracing that change and the fact that your knowledge is always going to have some limitation based on what you've exposed yourself to and how you've moved about in the world. And yeah, so I think that challenge was, you know, very overwhelming, but I feel like I had made some moves prior to graduating and set myself um, set myself up pretty good for the professional world, or at least what I felt was setting myself up as best as I can. In my junior year and in my senior year, I was doing internships with Summit Media. And this is because I had an obsession, and I've always had an obsession with food magazines. And so Yummy Magazine was really my dream place to work. I was obsessed with food media at the time. It wasn't a cool thing, right? So I would go to national bookstores, spend 100 pesos, or was it, was it 150 pesos on a Yummy Magazine, and just flip through the magazines and be so amazed at how everything was presented. So you know, there are these mouthwatering, gorgeous food photos, amazing photography, and bite-sized stories. And so it was a lot of storytelling in those pages that kind of drew me in. And even before I discovered Yummy Magazine, I was looking up all of these blogs online and I was a baker. So I was always looking for recipes online and so amazed at how the food was presented. And so, you know, I'll scroll back to my Instagram from like, you know, six, seven years ago and be so embarrassed at how I shot the food, but I was really trying <laughs> to, to, you know, present uh, my simple like cookies and brownies and cupcakes in the best way possible. And so I was just obsessed with it. And come college, I reached out to Summit Media to check if I, you know, work with them. And stepping into that office is, wow, it was amazing like you could smell the magazine pages when you walk into the office did that internship and met a lot of people built my network around you know the media circle eventually food became the coolest thing I'm sure you're familiar with Bon Appetit and um, I used to go to like these bookstores that would sell old magazines for 50 pesos. And that's how I, you know, built my little stack of Bon Appetit magazines. And eventually food became like a cool thing. And I think that was a lot to do with the people who worked in food media 
And so when I graduated college, like the first thing I wanted to do really was to work for Yummy. And so I had to wait up for an opening for some time, eventually made it to the digital team and was just smack in the middle of that community. And it was a very creative and supportive and just friendly community. And I had honestly the time of my life working at Summit in Yummy. Imagine being smack in the middle of all the things you love, like cooking and baking and writing and telling stories and meeting people in the industry. So much fun. For sure. And it's super amazing how it's kind of like a full circle thing since you first started out as an intern in college, really enjoyed and savored the entire experience until you eventually landed your full-time role with the digital team in Summit. And you were just exposed to this really close-knit, really friendly, supportive community. And in line with that, was there any specific person through the years that just had an immense impact on you or just really took the time to mentor you and kind of like show you the ropes? I am lucky to have some amazing bosses, both in media and in brand and marketing. So in Yummy, it was Trixie. She was our managing editor at the time. She's the editor-in-chief now. And at the time, print was a thing, but it was going down, right? So it was this huge digital boom. As an editor, you wear multiple hats. So you're writing, you're telling stories, you're managing social, you're producing recipes, you're developing recipes, you're styling all the spreads, and you're doing all of this at the same time. And Trixie was really patient with me. She really showed me the ropes. As a fresh grad, of course, you take this really sharp learning curve of how to move about in a workplace. And Trixie was, you know, she, you know, I'd make the same mistake over and over again. And she would patiently remind me and remind me. And eventually it became second nature. And yeah, like I'm happy to have been mentored by her for sure. Hi, Trixie of Yummy. (laughs) But yeah, it's always amazing to be able to have that mentor figure in every stage of our career, especially while starting out. And speaking of starting out, I've actually been super interested about this, but I'm honestly not so familiar with the technical ins and outs of recipe development, styling, but could you walk us through how the whole end-to-end production is like, whether it was in Yummy or maybe one of your freelance gigs? Wow, okay. So I think I can do a bit of mixing here with um, the work I do now and the work I did then. So. Um, well, in developing a recipe or you know telling a story, let's say, um, it always starts with the concept. And you're always supposed to understand what you're trying to communicate and what your big communication idea is and what exactly, you know, what picture you want to paint. And so it's understanding what exactly do you want people to talk about? How do you start that conversation? Um, how do you want people to feel? How do you make people feel like they're a part of something or how do you get people to buy your product, right? Like sometimes it's directly linked to your bottom line. Um, And so creative direction is built first and foremost in that understanding. Um, And then you think about your approach and treatment in producing that image or campaign. You know, it's both visuals, it's both tonality Um, and putting together a pretty picture while simultaneously thinking about um, your brand and your bottom line can be a hard thing to balance, Um, but it's all part of the process. And a lot of the time, it's 
choosing, you know, which creatives to work with, what pegs to go with. Um, and yeah, the rest is really project management and running the whole execution of the production. So I like to start with pegs and references. What do I think looks good? This feels right. This, you know, th this lighting feels right. Let's put it all together. Um, and then, you know, logistics. It's like studios, food stylists, prop stylists, editors, um, schedules, pre-production, like what you did for this podcast. Um, and then being present in putting it all together after the shoot. Um, really, it's you have to be the driving force of that conversation and that execution, um, you know, to get your final visual and result. I love how you just really took us behind the scenes and kind of just like outlined how the whole production goes since we only just tend to see these amazing photos and magazines and social media. So I love how it's kind of like a fresh perspective on things. And honestly, I had so much fun going through your Behance. And for you, I know you've worked with a lot of brands and clients through the years. But was there any specific project under your belt that was just really memorable for you? Yes. Okay, the wonderful thing about freelancing is, um, and even the wonderful thing about Summit was you build your network so well um, that the projects just come for you. There, a lot of it come from references. And uh, thankfully, styling was part of the job at Yummy. You know, every single recipe I had to develop, I had to shoot and style myself. I mean, style myself and have someone, you know, shoot it. And so, um, of course, with that specific skill set, people are going to say, oh, hey, why don't you take on this food styling project? Or I have a friend who wants to shoot and needs someone to make the food look good. And so a lot of those projects came from that network. And um, I never really seeked it. It was more of, it would come to me and I would just be like, yes, like, I want to do this. A lot of the time you're dealing with imposter syndrome, but um, what I learned is, you know, just say yes to as many things as possible. And one of my favorite freelance projects was working to produce images for Sanzo. And it's a New York-based sparkling water company. And um, the owner had just seen the images I had produced for one of the brands I was launching at the time, Elephant Grounds. And it was just really light styling. It was mostly creative direction. And um, I chose the right photographer for it also. It was very lifestyle driven. And he said, hey, this is kind of similar to what I want for my brand. Um, and he had relatives here that sent me the product. I shot it at my house. I picked one of my favorite photographers to work with. And yeah, it was just a, like, it was an amazing experience putting a New York brand under my belt. Oh my gosh, Atikat, that's so big. That's so exciting. It was amazing. And they're doing so well now, like, because the product is like Asian sparkling water. So they have calamansi, they have mango, and they have lychee. And they just got, they're doing amazing. Like they're distributing across the United States. They're on Amazon. They're in Whole Foods. It's super cool. Oh my gosh, Atika, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's just like all these little baby projects that come up. <laughs> I love it. And it's definitely not a baby project. It's huge. Congratulations once again. 
And you've actually mentioned earlier that every time you do a styling project, you always love partnering up with your favorite creatives, which definitely includes your favorite photographers. But when it comes to food styling, what would be some of the most difficult things about it that maybe viewers or consumers don't really notice? Getting food to register really nicely on camera requires a lot of tricks. Um, so I guess the most difficult would be dealing with specific food items that are hard to handle. Eggs are always a struggle. Just like things that are ooey and gooey and don't hold structure very well. Behind like, you know, a chicken wings photo, you're going to look behind it and it's going to be all propped up with all these little toothpicks and tissue and you're trying to build structure and volume in an image that there's a lot that goes behind the scenes in that. So it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of tries. You're going to get it wrong a lot of times. Um, but that's that's the great thing about working in the industry. People are very supportive. Sometimes it's your photographer making success and like, you know, just be open to people's feedback and be open to their expertise and you're going to get the shot. Holy moly, respect to you guys, like legit. Oh my goodness, there's so much work that goes into every single image we see. And it's super cool to be able to kind of visualize how you guys are doing it behind the scenes. And I actually have a quick question from one of my friends who is a big foodie and into the creatives as well. And although we've tackled how an end-to-end production is like earlier, what do you highly prioritize when it comes to your own creative strategies? I always make sure to have a good foundation in concept treatment. So understanding what the brand needs to achieve and being able to communicate that. So I put a lot of time into my pre-prod. So I put a lot of time into building up that concept, very specific lighting I want, what, you know, what colors I want, what fonts I want. Um, just the look and feel of everything. It's supposed to feel right. Once I get that down, I can move on to all the other things, but that's the most important thing for me. I actually love how you really zoned in on pre-prod because same, I love pre-prod even if figuring out the entire concept is probably the hardest thing to begin with, but also one of the most fulfilling once things start to feel right, you know, the vibe is just there. And as you took us in a quick story time so far as to how your journey has been, you know, from interning to a summit to your freelancing experiences, what moved you to also venture into marketing? I also knew, um, aside from my media work and being an editor, that I was super drawn to marketing. Um, And so, again, like as a fresh grad, you're kind of trying a lot of things, seeing what you like, seeing what you don't like. And, you know, those first few years, you'll figure out um, what works for you and what doesn't. And so moving through, like, the industry, whether it was pretty much still in food, you know, like, I was writing for a while and then I became, like, a marketing person, which is also something I've always wanted to do. And so I guess the experience has been a lot of saying yes to things, putting yourself out there. It's a lot of that. Um, It's meeting people. It's asking questions. It's really putting yourself in the thick of things and being um, a participant in the community. And, you know, it'll take some time to figure out, but I realize now that time is the only thing 
that'll kind of get you closer to the people that you admire. And it's also about, for example, identifying what resources you have accessible to you and using them to make things happen for yourself. It's amazing how you just grabbed all these opportunities that came at you. And I think I've heard this saying before, probably in an article or a podcast, but it went along the lines of seize the moment now because some opportunities don't come knocking twice. And yeah, I feel like this just related to what you mentioned earlier. Yeah, at the same time, like I'm lucky to have had people who were there for me and who made space for me as well. Like that's such a game changer. Absolutely. And I feel like this goes back to what we've talked about earlier about building a bigger table, you know, supporting one another. And with you venturing out to marketing as you work with the standard group, which is behind some of our favorite brands, such as Yabu, Ipodo, Mighty Quince, and Elephant Grounds. What's a day like in the life of a senior brand communications manager pre-COVID? Pre-COVID, every day was, you know, different. The role involved a lot of creative management and brand development. And marketing means, you know, you're moving around a lot. So the day-to-day would be a lot of content leadership and development. Um, So social media was a big part of the job. And aside from that, you're pretty much managing a bunch of campaigns and a bunch of brands and a bunch of launches. And so each of those projects are moving at a different pace. And so it's really staying on top of everything at the, you know, at the places they're in at the moment. You know, one thing could be ready to launch, one thing could be in development, and you know, one thing could be in the production stage. So it's staying on top of all of that. Sometimes every day has a different focus. Most of the time they're moving at the same time. So it's a very fast-paced, exciting place to work for sure. Yeah, that definitely sounds exciting, especially being able to handle multiple brands, multiple campaigns. So given all that, how does your team look like? The team pretty much consists of your brand and marketing people and your creatives. So those are the two functions I work with the most. There's also, of course, operations that'll help you get things done in the shops and implement your programs properly. But a lot of it is really a lot of collaboration and teamwork with creatives. So again, it's, it goes back to producing the communications and campaigns that you want to put out there and being the driving force in making sure they're executed and implemented properly. It's definitely amazing to be able to work closely with such creative and hardworking individuals. And under the standard group, you know, there's multiple brands. Food's always definitely been some of the things you love. It's your passion. So what is it like to be able to marry both the creatives of it and the marketing side? That's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what I love about it and enjoy about it. I love feeding people. (laughs) I love it when people come together over a meal. Like there's nothing more fun, right? Like that's the one thing I miss the most is coming together at a restaurant and enjoying a good meal together. And that's pretty much, you know, at the end of the day, that's what you do. And, you know, you put good food on the table, you uh, create a really awesome restaurant experience, you make them feel good with the service and hospitality. And the community itself is insanely hardworking. And, you know, there are much easier ways to make a living. (laughs) But like, this is very rewarding because of the hospitality that's involved in it. I love how passionate you are about it. And I definitely agree. Eating out is one of the things I miss the most as well as there's just something that hits different about being able to share a meal, 
share stories with your friends, your family. But given the pandemic, how has your role sort of evolved given the times and how have you adjusted? It's an exciting time. Um, we've shifted completely into like um, reaching out pe- to people and our loyals and our customers through different channels and um, exploring that has been both challenging and fun. So now it's a lot about how do you bring the restaurant experience home and it can be as specific as the way you package your materials. It can be the ordering experience itself and all of that has to come together and make a customer feel like, you know, they've they've had an easy, fun time ordering and eating your food. So that's a challenge I think a lot of restaurants are facing now. It's how to bring that hospitality home when you can't physically interact with your customers. Damn, that's a tough question and an even tougher challenge. But two years in, going into this whole pandemic quarantine setup, what do you think have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned whilst in your current role? One of the biggest lessons is really understanding what it takes to run a business. Like It really takes a lot of people to come together and say, hey, like, you know, I'll sacrifice a bit of my time just so people who work in restaurants, you know, they can still keep their jobs. So at the end of the day, like, I was working a lot more at home in the pandemic. You know, I lost my long commute and all of that, but I was still working more hours. And I was like, oh, hey, like, this is a little hard. Like, what happened? And my boss, shout out Jamie, really, really good mentor, never going to forget the way Um, she explained how all of this sacrifice meant more people would keep their jobs and, you know, be more secure in this world now where, you know, security is, you know, everything anyone can want. So that for sure, I think would be the biggest lesson I learned. That's definitely going to stick with me as well. And it's amazing to hear how that's been a driving motivation for you and your boss, despite the tough times we're in. And as we wrap up, you've worn many different hats through the years. It wasn't easy for sure, but you've excelled and persevered so much. But if you were to look back at how your journey has been so far, how much do you think have you grown both as a creative and as a marketer since College Cat? Wow, so much. I feel like College Cat is a completely different person. (laughs) You think you're having a hard time in college until you start working. It's a completely different world. And a lot of that has been staying humble and being brave enough to start from scratch because you're going to do that without a doubt. Yeah, that's it's just been a really big journey. Um, I think it's important also to recognize the same patterns that you would usually go through as an athlete and that's you see the improvements incrementally they're not going to happen overnight and you know one day you're just going to wake up and be like wow I'm exactly where I wanted to be five years ago and it's going to blow your mind and so a lot of it is really sticking to it and showing up and leaning into it as much as you can and you're most likely going to get there (laughs) I seriously love that and I seriously needed to hear that today since sometimes it's just so easy to get caught up with everything going on but 
it's really also about taking the time to hit pause, reflect on where we are currently right now, and to just recognize that growth. And I think given the pandemic, it's probably made a lot of us reflect a lot more in our lives and the current situation of things. But when it comes to work, what has become more important to you more than ever before? Oh, this is a good question. Um, I think a lot of those realizations came in the past year only. It's important for me to be working in a place that's honest, that builds a lot of trust, that puts people first. And of course, makes people feel good and empowered, even if it's just, you know, within the team and dependent on the leadership that you know you have and you're exposed to. Having a good communication and feedback system is important. I think in work also you're not always going to get that. So sometimes you have to seek it and getting feedback, whether it's from your superiors or from the people that, you know, work in your team and report to you. Both are really important. Definitely agree with that. And feedback is what helps us grow not only as professionals, but as individuals as well. And Atikat, oh my gosh, I've had so much fun just making Quento with you and catching up with everything that you've been up to the past few years. But For my last question, and my favorite question, where do you see yourself next? Wow. (laughs) I kind of like where I am now, and where I want to go is just to become an even better person with the competencies I'm building now. So that's within marketing, that's within food, that's within um, creatives, and um, you know, if that someday translates, for example, if you're running my own thing, that would be awesome. Like, I would love to do that. And yeah, just I like to keep continuing doing this in different ways. And I can imagine it just to keep evolving as time goes by. I'm just happy to be part of the process. Big, big thank you for listening to our episode with Kat. And don't forget to follow She Ready on Instagram at She Ready the Podcast. And feel free to tag me with your favorite insights or things you've just loved about this episode. Once again, I'm Kat San and see you next time for the next episode drop.